Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and today I am talking with my very special guest, my favorite person in the whole world, and don't you all hope it's my wife. (laughs) And it is. Today joining us in the studio is Sandra Stanley. But before I invite her into the conversation, I want to briefly review a topic that um, longtime podcast listeners have heard me talk about before, and this will sort of set the stage for why Sandra is with us today. Um, It'll certainly help set up that discussion. And that topic is vision. Now, the topic of vision is important to me because, simply put, everybody ends up somewhere in life, right? And a few people actually end up somewhere on purpose. And as a leader, you want to end up somewhere on purpose. And generally, those are the people with vision, people who have some idea of a preferred future, whether for their business, personally, their family, whatever. Sometimes we refer to it as a North Star that guides them. And they may have other things going on for them as well, but they certainly have vision. Now, as we've talked about before, a clear vision along with the courage to actually follow through dramatically increases your chances to coming to the end of your life or maybe even the end of a season of life and looking back with a deep abiding sense of satisfaction and thinking, wow, I I did it. I succeeded. Um, I finished well or I finished that well. And, And you know this, there's no such thing as an emotionless vision, right? I mean, a clear, focused vision actually allows us to experience ahead of time the emotions associated with our anticipated future. If you've ever sat in a meeting where you're planning something and you sense the energy in the room as people begin to picture what this is going to look like, you begin to feel it even before you experience it. And that's one of the advantages of a vision because it brings the emotion we need sometimes to push through, especially in difficult times. And those passions or emotions actually reinforce then our commitment to the vision. And as a leader, your passion and emotion has the potential to empower your team as well. In fact, the clearer the vision, I think the stronger the emotion. Vision, when we're committed to it, it determines several things. And one of the things it determines is it determines direction because vision, and this is so important, a vision is a pre-decision. You've pre-decided that certain things are not options while other things are indispensable. It prioritizes our values. Now, one of the things I've observed, and again, we've talked about this before on the podcast, is that when a leader doesn't have a clear vision or a team doesn't have a clear vision, that leader or that team is easily distracted and they have a tendency to drift from one activity, one initiative, one pleasure, or even one relationship to the next. And whereas all of that is obvious when it comes to organizational life, it doesn't simply apply to organizational life. And that's why Sandra is with us in the studio today. We want to talk about vision as it pertains to family life, parenting in particular. So here's something to think about. Currently, you are parenting your children in a direction In fact, your current approach and style is hurting them, for lack of a better term, is hurting your children toward a specific destination. So the question we want to ask you today and hopefully help you answer is this. Have you chosen the direction in which you are parenting your children, or are you content to simply discover that direction once your kids arrive there? And that second question should scare you to death. Are you really content to simply discover once all is said and done the direction in which you parented your kids? So with that as an introduction, please welcome the finest human being I know, wife and mother extraordinaire, and as of two months ago, a grandmother. That's right. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. So, you know, Sandra and I are releasing a book this month entitled Parenting, Getting It Right. And the emphasis is on the it. 
Every parent wants to get it right, but if you don't determine your it, life will determine it for you. That's what we're going to focus on for the next few minutes in our discussion. But before we get too far along, we thought it would be helpful for you to know a little bit about our family. So, Sandra, fill them in. All right. Well, um, Andy and I have been married 34 years, and we have three adult children, Andrew, Garrett, and Allie. They are all 20 months apart. Because we're planners. Nope. Nope. They're just 20 months apart. That's the way it is. (laughs) Andrew, our oldest, is a stand-up comedian. Garrett, our middle child, is our extrovert. He works with a digital marketing company um, firm here in the Atlanta area. And Allie is our youngest, and she actually works for me at North Point Community Church, which is a lot of fun. Yep. All three are married. We love, love, love our daughters-in-law and our son-in-law. And our first grandchild, like Andy said, arrived in November, and we just adore her. In fact, we could just show pictures or talk about pictures. We could hold them up on our phone and and just um, talk about pictures the whole time. She has captured our heart. Uh, Additionally, we have been foster parents. We started our foster care journey about 12 years ago and continue to just have a deep love for the fostering community. Yep. So now that you know a little bit about our family, I want to get back to it. You want to get it right as a parent, but what is your it? What exactly is the it you want to get right? What is your North Star or what is your vision? What do you want to parent towards? Right. Our observation is that most parents are so busy parenting that they never stop to consider what they're parenting to, their North Star. They're too busy to stop and consider the end or the when. And we're not being critical. We get it. In two parent homes, it is not uncommon for parents to actually have two different wins in mind. And when that's the case, parents parent at cross purposes without even realizing it. And the result is a tension that neither parent can actually explain, but one that children sense and teenagers naturally figure out how to leverage in their favor. Yeah, they exploit it. And of course, that's the problem. If you don't pause long enough to consider the direction in which you are parenting, you may wake up one day to the realization that you parented in the wrong direction. And by wrong, I mean you parented in a direction you would not have chosen had you stopped long enough to choose it. And it happens All the time. It's the principle of the path that direction ultimately determines destination. That's right. Direction, not intention, determines destination. As I mentioned earlier, we're foster parents, and we've seen this principle play out in the worst imaginable ways. Whether you've thought of it this way or before or not, you are parenting your children in a direction, and you owe it to them, and you owe it to your future family to choose it ahead of time. Exactly. If your parenting style, habits, responses, and approach are not dictated by a predetermined win. They will be dictated by circumstances, culture, the reactions of your children, and the expectations of others. And as you listen to me go through that list, some of you are thinking, that's exactly right. My whole parenting style, our parenting style, is determined by circumstances, the expectations of others, uh, maybe the expectation of your parents, uh, the pattern that maybe your husband or wife grew up with. So again, it gets messy really quickly. In fact, it becomes a whirlwind wind. And in the whirlwind, you are reduced to reacting rather than leading toward a predetermined destination. And again, you've experienced this in your business. You may be experiencing something similar at home. That's right. So we would like to be so bold as to suggest a particular it. Yep. The it we're convinced makes all the difference, the North Star of parenting. So 
Let's get to it. Now, our it that we're going to suggest is not original with us. In fact, we borrowed it from veteran parents that we've observed and done life with over the years, parents who we feel like got it right. But the best example and the one that really got my attention is Sandra's parents, the way they parented. And here's what I observed that I was convinced should be our North Star. And I say I was convinced, she was already convinced because Sandra assumed it would be. It was all I knew. It was all you knew. That's right. (laughs) Sandra has an older sister and a younger brother, so she's the middle child. And the thing that impressed me immediately about her family when we began dating is that they all enjoyed being together. In fact, they look forward to being together. They look for excuses to be together. And when they were together, it was drama-free and it was enjoyable. Right. And I didn't even know it was a thing because, like I said, it was all I knew. So for a while, my brother lived in California. My sister and I both lived, you know, closer to mom and dad. So when we were all together, we would actually call Jack and we would tell him what we were eating. And we yeah. would kind of, you know, say, you know, Grandmama's biscuits sure are good. Sorry, you're missing out. And kind of just give him grief about that. And, and I remember this was so strange. I would be in Dublin, Georgia, which is in middle Georgia. And sure enough, they're all together again, Jackson, California. And they would still stop in the middle of something and say, let's call Jack. Yeah, and I would hate think, this. Yeah, and I would think, <laughs> let's persecute our little yeah, brother. Yeah, why for are a you minute. calling Jack? I mean, yeah. I'm not going to call my sister. What? What? <laughs> and they would all gather around the phone and just, you're missing yeah, out. You're missing would. out. Well, we this dynamic was so healthy. I thought that's worth parenting toward. That's what I hope we experience with our kids when we have kids someday. But again, what was just another day in the neighborhood for Sandra's family, it was new to me. It was unusual, and it was very attractive. Now, Sandra assumed it, as she said, because it was all she knew. But I knew that families don't drift in the direction of what her family experienced. In fact, they drift the other way. So here's what happened. On our way to the beach to spend a week with Sandra's family, um, with little baby Andrew, our firstborn, strapped into his car seat, I suggested that we set some goals because I felt like I needed a plan. For things to be different, I would have to do things differently, think differently, and I thought prioritize differently. So we set some goals. We set four goals for our family. And of those four goals, only one survived the rigors of parenthood. And as it turns out, it was the most important one and the one that most closely associated with the dynamic that I observed in Sandra's family. And that one goal has been our North Star ever since. It informed every aspect of our parenting, the words we choose, the tone we set, the schedule we adopted, and even our approach to discipline, which we'll talk about in just a minute. It was our it, and we highly recommend it. So here it is. Sandra, you share it with me. So here's our it, boiled down to just a sentence. We wanted kids who enjoy being with us and with each other when they no longer have to be. That's it. That was our it. That was the bullseye on the target for us. And our it was 100% relational. So we parented with the relationship in mind. We just always parented with the relationship in mind. Their relationship with us and with each other, current and future relationships. And really, we would just ask the question, is this, when we're trying to make a decision, is this good for our relationships? And if it was good for the relationship, it was good. And if it wasn't, we, it just wasn't didn't, right. we just didn't do it. So again, we wanted to raise kids who enjoyed being with us and with each other when they no longer had to be. And by no longer had to be, we were thinking about that day when they would leave our home and they would have the option as to whether or not they ever returned or spent time with each other. Now, honestly, if I had not seen this, it, if I had not seen it in Sanders' family, I would not have set my sights on it. 
knowing me, I would have parented with compliance or competence and accomplishment in mind. And as you know, I'm still a fan of competence and accomplishment. But I'm so grateful I did not embrace either of those as the win when it came to parenting. Or another way of saying it, I'm just so glad I didn't embrace either of those as our it. That's right. And because we were parenting with the relationship in mind, the rules we set were all tied to relationship building and relationship protecting. Yeah. In fact, in our home, we only had two overarching rules. And our two rules were honor mom and don't tell a lie. Honor mom. First one, my favorite. (laughs) Sandra's favorite, honor mom. And again, not obey mom. Honor mom, that's broader, and don't tell a lie. And the reason we would give our kids for not telling a lie is this. Lying breaks the relationship. Lying breaks the relationship. Yep. Since protecting our relationships was paramount, we disciplined our kids with the relationship in mind. Discipline was always designed around relationship restoration, not punishment. We didn't resort to taking things away or stuff like that because that does nothing to restore a relationship. And since we're parenting toward relationship, we wanted to discipline toward restoring relationships. Yeah. So we were intentional about teaching our kids early how to restore a broken relationship. And here's why that's so important. You know people, you know adults who have broken relationships and they're just stuck. And when you hear the circumstances, you think to yourself, well, just apologize or just call or just, you know, make an effort. But we all know adults who have never been taught how to restore a broken relationship. So this is a skill set. And again, to Sandra's point a minute ago, because we were parenting toward relationship, one of the most important things we knew we needed to teach our kids is how to restore a broken relationship. So we taught our kids early that dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience always negatively impacted a relationship. We called them the three Ds, dishonesty, disrespect, and disobedience always negatively impact a relationship. So it made sense that disciplinary measures were always tied to restoring what was broken. That's right. So when our children were disrespectful, and they were, and when they were disobedient, and, and they, they were, were. <laughs> <laughs> and on occasion when they were dishonest, and, and they, they were, were, we immediately tied that behavior not to, um, you've just done something wrong or you disobeyed. We would always explain to them what their dishonesty, disobedience, or disrespect did to a relationship. We were very intentional about always tying it back to relationship. I'll um, give you a, a great example of how this worked out. And this actually... I say is Andy's finest parenting moment, but I'll let you tell the story. Well, thank you. (laughs) For those of you with middle school and high school students, you know how difficult it is to know what to do sometimes when our kids are dishonest or disrespectful or just disobedient. Obviously, it takes more creativity and simply taking things away, as we mentioned earlier, doesn't restore the relationship. So here's, here's how a scenario played out for us. I came home one day and found out that one of our boys had been extremely extremely disrespectful to Sandra. Uh, At this point, he was 16 years old, and he had driven off and really left a mess relationally at home. And when Sandra told me what had happened, I was so angry. When he came home, um, he assumed that she told me what happened, and he knew things weren't going to go well. But one of the things that we learn, and one of the things we talk about in the book, is that the older your children are, the longer you can wait before you let them know how you're going to respond to dishonesty, disrespect, or disobedience. And in this case, I really didn't know what to do. 
But I knew that simply taking things away wasn't the approach. Somehow, I had to come up with something that would help restore the relationship between our son and their mom, our son and Sandra. So it took me a while. In fact, it took me so long. Sandra began to wonder, like, are hello. you hello? Yeah. <laughs> are you just gonna let this pass and not do anything? So I finally came up with a plan. And I went upstairs, and um, this is a few days later, actually. And um, you know, the look on my face when I walked in, he knew we were about to talk about that thing that I had not forgotten. So here's what I said. I said, here's what you're gonna do. I want you to ask your mother out on a date. You pick the restaurant ahead of time, somewhere nice. You drive. It's just the two of you, and you pay. And the look on his face Please, was, Dad, take my keys, yeah, take, take my the, phone. Right, take, take everything, everything. Take my life. Right, take my <laughs> life. But what he said was, yes, sir. Yep. And so he did. In fact, Sandra, why don't you finish yeah, this story? Yeah, so he came down, and he said, hey, Mom, I would love if you would go to dinner with me tonight. And I said, I was it that to. night? I, I well, maybe it was some, either the night or the next. It was quick. Yeah. Because he was ready to get this thing done. <laughs> <laughs> so he took me. I remember the restaurant. I remember where we were sitting. We go in. I remember even his shirt. It was that this was such it, this was just one of those defining moments. And it was it was a powerful moment. And so we sit down in the restaurant and, you know, we're dipping our bread into the olive oil and just kind of chatting. And he goes, Mom, I just want to tell you how sorry I am that I was so disrespectful to you the other day. And I just hope that you can forgive me. And I was like, no, I'm still mad. No, I did not. I did not say that. I was already melted in a puddle because I'm sitting there across from my handsome, sweet son. And and um, when he apologized, I said, you know what? I forgave you immediately after it happened. That forgiveness isn't an issue at all. But thank you so much for um, for apologizing and for owning it. And um, I feel like our relationship is right back where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. And it just, it really was. The relationship was restored. And it really wasn't just about the relationship being restored on my end. This was something so powerful for him. This was something that I think probably was so memorable for him that he carried it into his adulthood and and carries it around today because it was powerful. It was so much more powerful than taking some keys away or from, you know, than taking a phone away or any of those kind of things. This was one of those moments that hopefully was a defining moment for him too, but it certainly was for me. And part of the point of the illustration is that took some creativity and that took some time. Some mental calories. (laughs) It certainly did. But again, it accomplished what responding to the three Ds is supposed to accomplish. It restored the relationship. And after their meal, that was it. That was the end. We were done with it. We were done because the relationship was restored. And that's like real life. Right. That's how real life works. Right. This wasn't payback. This was restore the relationship. Sandra has uh, an example that I think was one of her, certainly her most creative moments yeah. in terms of responding. So and tell this that one, story. Well, this one is is kind of in a younger season. So this is more for parents of kids that are younger because the whole principle still applies yep. regardless of season of life. But um, Andy and I got home from a date one night and babysitter had been there and it was a regular babysitter. It wasn't the kind of babysitter that just loves to give you a bad report when you walk in. There are those. But this one was one, you know, we could tell, we said, how were, you know, how was the night? And Allie was really little. So she had been put to bed early and it was, this was really just about the boys. So the babysitter kind of had a funny look on her face and she's like, I mean, it was fine. And we realized it wasn't fine. So we pull all the details out of the babysitter and 
realized that our boys had been super disrespectful um, to her through the evening. And so the next morning, I woke the boys up early. I told them, I said, you know, I've got some stationery out in the kitchen. I want you to go downstairs and write an apology letter to Julie. Each of you write your own apology letter. I want you to um, tell me when you're done. So they go downstairs. They're writing apology notes. And I said, all right, so now the notes are done. I want you to go get your wallets and meet Allie and me in the car. So they're kind of looking like, oh, my gosh, you know, what's about to happen? So they go get their wallets. We all load up in the car. And I said, we are headed to Publix, and I'm going to let you use your money to buy Julie some flowers. And then we're going to go to Julie's office, and you're going to walk in, and you're going to give her your note and the flowers, and you're going to look her in the eye and apologize for being so disrespectful last night. And um, so they were horrified, and they were just at the season of life where money was beginning to mean something to them, and they had to get the money out of their spending jars, you know, out of their little—well, their wallets is where they put their spending money at that season of life. So anyway, so that was a little bit of extra pain, and um, so they were like, oh, Mom, just can we mail? Can we mail the stuff? I'm like, no, we're not going to mail it. You're going to go march into her office and look her in the eye, give her the note and the flowers and apologize. So that's what we did. In front of whoever is there. Whoever is in there. So we did that. And, um, and, you know, they walked in and, and they looked at her and they said, Julie, you know, we're so sorry that we, you know, we're so disrespectful to you. Here's your note. Here's some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get out of here? <laughs> so it, but it was, you know, it was, again, it was real, it was restoring a relationship. And even though Julie was fine, I mean, she, you know, this wasn't her first rodeo with babysitting. So, you know, she was fine. It really wasn't just about her. It was yeah. about here is our opportunity to parent with relationships in mind. Here's our opportunity to help our boys understand restoring a broken relationship. Yeah. And restoring a broken relationship requires a big dose of humility because you own it and it you own it in front of the person. And again, that was part of the training. So the point of those two stories is because the it for us was kids who understand how to manage and repair a relationship. Because at the end of the day, our goal was for them to want to be with us and with each other when they no longer had to be. This was relationship training. Now, raising kids who enjoy being with you and with each other once they're grown and gone may not seem like a groundbreaking concept. Um, And it may not even be what you value most right now as a parent, especially in the early years. After all, during the early years, who stops to consider what it's gonna be like when they're grown and gone, right? Well, I'll tell you who does. Parents who are parenting with future relationships in mind, which is precisely why determining your it early is so important. Yep. So that kind of calls the question, what is your it? When it comes to parenting, you want to get it right. So it may be time to spend some time thinking about and defining and figuring out what your it is. Yeah, your vision, your win. Now, sometimes when we talk about this, I either can see it in people's eyes or we even get the feedback. Hey, this sounds a little bit like a recipe for codependency. You know, we're all just going to be together and want to be together. And I get that. But this is not. Um, In fact, that's covered under no longer have to be. Right. Besides, you may have noticed that codependent people don't really enjoy each other. They just can't survive without each other. And that's not it. Big difference. Independence is an essential ingredient for mutually satisfying relationships, right? Children who don't fully 
fully individuate are robbed of the opportunity to choose an adult relationship with their parents. So this is not about creating codependency. If you parent with the relationship in mind, you will actually parent your children right out of the house and off the payroll. You'll parent them toward healthy independence. Yes. And the other thing you may be thinking is, isn't this all a little bit self-serving or selfish? right. Right. Um, And the answer is, yes, it is. (laughs) It is. But everybody benefits. If you think back to what Andy observed in my family, it really wasn't just about my parents. It was about all of us. We were all enjoying each other. Everybody wins. Everybody is served because parenting with the relationship in mind leads to better relationships. Parenting with the relationship in mind equips our kids to be good at relationships, all relationships. Yeah, yeah. Marriages, their future friendships, their relationships with their bosses, their employees, everybody. It's just good. It just works in their favor in all relationships. If you think about it, you've never met a woman whose problems stem from a healthy relationship with her father, right? And I, I doubt you've ever encountered any adult plagued by insecurity who maintained a healthy relationship with his parents. The truth is self-confidence, emotional health, and the ability to maintain healthy long-term relationships are just a few of the byproducts associated with healthy parent-child relationships. And you've seen examples of that. In fact, you may be an adult who's kind of digging out of a hole because of what you didn't experience with one or both of your parents. That's right. That is right. The confidence and emotional well-being associated with intact family relationships really equips kids with emotional margin, which in turn sets them up for relational success in every arena of life. That's exactly right. In fact, I would say that the two most empowering gifts you can give your children are gifts to you as well. Number one, a healthy marriage, and number two, a healthy relationship with you. So so yes, parenting with a relationship in mind is self-serving, but it serves your children as well. Yep. And this is so important. A healthy parent-child relationship is the best predictor of a child's potential for relational success outside of your family. Yeah, and you are going to want your and that's children— that's a big, big deal. Yeah, because you're yeah. going to want your children to have successful relationships— outside their immediate family. Eventually, they'll have a family of their own. Eventually, and this may be hard for you to imagine depending on how old your children are, and this is something we've just begun to experience, one day your children will be parents. And watching our daughter as a parent is just one of the most fascinating and encouraging things imaginable that I just wasn't even ready for because I'm not sure you can be ready for it. So if you are a frequent listener to this podcast, you know how passionate I am about getting it right in the realm of organizational leadership. But I want you to get it right at home as well. In fact, I want you to get it right at home more than anywhere else. After all, your greatest contribution to the world, this is so important for you to think about, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do. Your greatest contribution may be someone you raise. Your most important vision cast won't take place in a boardroom. Your most important vision cast will take place in your child's bedroom as you tuck them in at night. Yeah, that's right. Eventually, somebody will do what you are currently doing at work. Your only unique role is dad or mom. So with everything else you're trying to get right, make sure you get this right. It is a big deal. 
Yep. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Sandra, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. And be sure you check out our new book, Parenting, Getting It Right, wherever books are sold. And as an exclusive for our podcast listeners in today's show notes, you'll find access to the first episode of our video study on parenting, getting it right. As always, visit the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of our discussion and questions for reflection or group discussion. And of course, be sure to join us next time on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Podcast.